Fit Nation. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by veterans and hosted by veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with the Misfit Nation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on, share some of your tips with the audience to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or gold star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. Reach out, we will get you on. If you are feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle, or are embarrassed to share that with them, please dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, Welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. That's the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell. This will keep you up to date with all of our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Electrocast Media and About Face Radio. This will keep you up to get to us and learn more about our great guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is a serial, a serial social media, music, and hospitality entrepreneur, author, and podcaster. He is the CEO and founder of Emiloa Institute in Costa Rica. He was the youngest host in late night TV history on ABC, and the White House named him one of the most innovative entrepreneurs under 30. Emiloa is booked years in advance, and clients renew at a rate of 85%. It's amazing. So without further ado, Let's welcome Jake Sasseville to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Jake. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all you're doing. You know, I really admire how you're taking all your years of service all those years ago and, and really cultivating something that's a resource for folks that are serving or no longer serving or curious or whatever it is. I, I appreciate it. I've listened to, like I said at the top, a few of your episodes, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, we appreciate you uh, being patient with us and getting you on here and, uh, it's great to have you on here. Once I seen you pop up, I said this is a, this is an interesting story. And being uh, a Northeast guy myself, growing up in New Jersey, uh, from Maine originally yourself, yeah, yeah. I see that uh, you were affected by Hurricane Sandy up there, and uh, I seen a lot of the loss up there. And I, I see you have bounced and made a, a positive momentum from this. Yeah, I think sometimes our greatest pain in life can turn into our purpose. And Hurricane Sandy, uh, at a very odd time, washed away my house in New York City. For those that don't remember October 29, 2012, uh, this massive hurricane kind of barreled into New York, New York, which was New York, New Jersey, and the whole eastern seaboard. And it was uh, unusual, I think, the level of storm that that was. And I was living on an island between JFK and the Rockaways called Broad Channel. Uh, it's right off the A train. And the house got swept away. I wasn't in it. I wasn't in New York at the time. I was actually at a speaking thing, uh, the David Letterman speaking thing in, at his alma mater in Ball State University in Indiana. 
But uh, I remember getting reports from from my roommate at the time, which was, okay, there's one foot of water in the house, two, two feet of water, three feet of water. Okay, evacuating four feet of water. Oh, it's an interesting God. time. And that it was an interesting time, Rich, because it wasn't just the Hurricane Sandy. It was all my TV contracts got canceled. I was 27 years old. All my TV contracts got canceled. Uh, my friends were kind of not really being my friends. I was really out of control. I needed to get myself into a 12-step program, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the, the story goes on. But it was this weird month where everything kind of exited from my life. And I had to go back and live with my grandma, honestly, in her basement to kind of get restarted. So interesting that you bring that up at the top. But yeah, it's uh, it's been about 10, what is it, 10 years since Sandy? About 10 years in a few months. Yeah, just over 10 Sandy. years now, yeah. You were in Jersey when that happened, eh? Uh, when it happened, I was in Afghanistan, uh, in the mountains of Afghanistan. I see. Oh, so, <laughs> hurricane pales in comparison. I understand. <laughs> my dad, my dad and mom, they they live in New Jersey, and they they took a pretty good hit. Somehow, there's like a bubble around their block, so they didn't flood. Yeah, and they didn't lose power the whole time. And I thought, I thought that was weird that he didn't lose power, but he also worked for the power company for most of his life. So maybe there was some kind of magic thing they do for him. I don't know, but. It, his power, his block did not lose power, so they got they got blessed in that. Interesting, one. interesting how so many people are affected. You don't forget that, even if you were in Afghanistan, I'm sure that you would hear updates from your parents, and it was a thing. Oh, it definitely was a thing. Uh, uh, I was deployed. Uh, I was also gone when 9/11 happened, so wow. I was used to missing major events in life. So, where were you serving during 9/11? I was in a, on the border of Iraq when that happened. Wow, interesting <laughs> place to be. It's a good place to hang out and uh, to go from uh, having ice cream every day to no more ice cream because now you're at war. So, uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Flip a switch. Yeah, for sure. So you, you showed resilience by uh, battling through the the devastation of Sandy and having to go move in with Grandma and reset. Basically, you said reset, and I thought I liked that uh, hitting that pause button and resetting. And what gave you the idea to start Emmy uh, Loa? You know. First of all, it's funny how you have to manage your expectations when you're going through hell. And for me, living in that basement, the phone not ringing, starting and failing at five businesses was a version of hell for me. Again, all of it seems very much put into perspective if I started hearing your story of Afghanistan and being on the border of Iraq. But, you know, it is what it is. We all have our stories. And obviously, you're, that motivated you to create this. For me... Um, you know, I think what the ba I was supposed to be there, like I said, a month, and I was there for two years. And I think what I got in the in that time period of just like things not working out for me, like things had always kind of worked out for me, but it was all through my own hustle and through my own self will and thinking that I was the one in charge. And what I got when I got into that basement and into a twelve step program is I started to recognize that there were other forces at play and call them spiritual, call them you know, whatever it is, but there are other things other than just my own self-will and exerting it over what I wanted for my life that if I just chilled out and stopped and listened to life and stopped trying to control everything all the time, that I could actually see what I needed to actually be doing in life rather than what I thought I needed to be doing. And that's kind of what got me on the path to creating this retreat center. Honestly, I'm not a retreat center kind of guy. I'd never been to a retreat before I started this place, which is true. You know, I, and I wasn't really, I'm not like a tremendous, I'm not like a meditating in the bushes 12 hours a day, kumbaya, om. I, this is not my kind of flavor of life. Although a lot of people think that it is because I'm CEO and creator of this place. 
for me, I, I had moved to Maui after my grandma's basement. Um, and you know, like I said, started and failed at five businesses. The sixth one worked. It was actually a podcast and that's what earned me enough money to get out of the basement, ironically. And in Maui, what I realized is I had a big old house in Maui that I just, you know, got based on a whim and a prayer and Airbnb the cottage in the backyard and paid for the whole house that way. Um, so I'm really like entrepreneurial, even when my back's up against the wall and I'm totally behind the eight ball and in the middle of a basement in Maine, you know, I still had entrepreneurial ideas. And so that that's how I paid for that. That's how I paid for my whole life on Maui was through that Airbnb. And yeah. And so the main house um, I used in service of people. One of the things I read about you is that what, what war and the military really taught you is how to manage and work with and care for people. And what that house on Maui really taught me was because remember it all was paid for by the Airbnb and I had a big old, you know, it was 2000 square feet upstairs. So I, I had three extra bedrooms. And so what I did was I invited people over my house, just friends, friends of friends, friends of friends of friends. And over three years, I had hundreds of people visit me, Rich. Like it was weird. It was, it was Rwandan genocide survivors writing their memoirs. Veterans actually of the Iraq war actually would come to heal or regroup or deal with what, you know, this one particular gentleman was going through just wanting to be in a warm paradise environment. I had uh, stage four cancer folks come just every type of story you could imagine of someone who would want to travel to Maui. And I just made these rooms available. It wasn't a bed and breakfast. It wasn't formal. I didn't charge people. But what I did realize is that human beings want to feel at home. They want to feel safe in their transformation. And I know you talk a lot about that, or you had a couple of guests on around PTSD and the sub, these subject matters. And I saw in the intro about suicide and suicide prevention and reaching out and, and knowing that there's another way. And what I started to recognize is people who are looking to make a big change in their life, it really is about feeling safe enough to do so. And sometimes an environment, one that doesn't look like our normal everyday environment, myself included, like I can't always do what I want to do in life by staying in the same environment all the time. Sometimes I have to change it up. I realize people want to feel at home in their transformation. So that's why I created Imaloa. And to this day, even though it's in the middle of the jungle with two kids and sloths, which are great snakes and black cats, which are a little more interesting for guests to experience, right. you know, it's at the top of this mountain on the ocean. Like it's a, it's a really wild far out place, like another reality but it feels safe enough where people feel like it's safe to be able to do the work that they want to do. So I'm just really grateful that I kind of followed the breadcrumbs. It wasn't some part, some master plan, but um, I just kept listening and kept taking action and turning the results over and seeing how I could contribute to humanity this way. You know, that is amazing. And uh, how did you uh, pick Costa Rica to, for the location? So Imaloa was originally, the retreat center was originally conceived of the, as this intercontinental institute. So I really thought, how cool would it be? And this is often how my crazy creations start. I'm like, how cool would it be to do a retreat center on every continent in the right. world, like as a network of continents? So then we started raising money, me and my ex-business partner started raising money um, for a Maui location, for a Hawaii location, right? What's better than Maui? Right. And we had raised all the money. And at the 11th hour, literally at the last minute, I had to pull us out of the deal because I realized the regulations in Hawaii were not conducive to a retreat center. 
you know, long story short. And so my partner called me in the middle of the night in Hawaii and he said, I don't know what you're doing pulling us out of this deal, but like, you know, we had raised however much, like $3 million. It's like, and it was literally in our bank account from investors. And it was like, you need to put that money somewhere. So you better figure this out fast. And so I got on a plane to Costa Rica because I said, well, if I can't do it in North America as a first location, I'll do it in Central America, Costa Rica. So I just got on a plane and called some realtors when I arrived in Costa Rica. I mean, it sounds crazy, but this is literally how it happened. And I said, show me a place with these criteria, 20 acres, ocean view in the mountain jungle. I need to meet the seller, yada, yada. And, um, and they did, they, this was the first one that they showed me and I, uh, we made an offer and I moved out of Maui 30 days later and started wow. in Maloa. Yeah. That's I don't awful. F around. I don't know if I could swear on this show, but I don't F around when it comes to like, yeah, I'm yeah. sure I can. <laughs> it's the misfit nation. Come on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. So I, I don't fuck around when my back's up against the wall. It's like, you know, there's a couple things in business. I'm sure you have business people or people that are business minded listening to this. There's a couple of things like when your back's against the wall, take action, even if it's the wrong action. That's been something I've lived by. And the other thing that I've realized more in the last few years is that people get tired in a negotiation. Like when you're negotiating something, they get tired right at the end. And it's really important to just stay with it when you're negotiating or in a collaboration with someone to stay with it until the end. Um, and I, I, I sense that so many people stop just before it gets real good, or they turn a different path just before it gets interesting or before there was a real breakthrough. And, um, that those have been two things that I've really been refining in my own, you know, business life and career over the last few years. I mean, that's awesome. And I, I really like that, that all the stars aligned to the first place was it was, the like all the lights and whistles, everything that you wanted was there. And, and that, that's the, uh, the perfect storm, the perfect scenario. Uh, not a lot yeah. of people can say that, that that has happened for them because it usually it takes uh, three, four, five different looks to to find something. We've we've all seen crazy shows like like House Hunters when they, they go look at three houses and and you just want to stab somebody when you when you're watching a show because of how they act on the show. Oh, this is this color isn't right. Well, you can paint and things like yeah. that. But, but you found it in one try, and that's amazing. And I, I'm happy for you on that one. Thank you. There's, there's something about not being able to think too much. Like I couldn't think myself out of it. And I think what, what handicaps a lot of folks is people think themselves out of something. Will it work? Won't it work? Can I afford it? Da, da, da. It's like, when, and when you think too much, you find reasons why not to do something because the ego is created so that we don't have to do uh, things that are inherently dangerous to our well-being. And so it's really about, Practices. For me, it's been about practices of how to transcend that ego, honor it, acknowledge it, it exists. But how do you train your mind so that you're not listening to that, but you're listening to whatever, your own inner guidance system, intuition, whatever you want to call it, you know? And I find that with shows like that and, and people that are constantly nitpicking decisions, it can, you know, it's really the, the perfection's the enemy of progress, truly. I really think it hampers people a lot when they do that stuff. Totally. And like you're saying, it, it it stops your progress and it really hurts them. And I think what you did there was opened up that door and it made this this dream you had when you were living in Maui yeah. come to life in within 30 days. And that's that's great. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. So what was the year that you opened it? June 1, 2018 is when we when I moved and started building. And our first retreat was August 31st of 2018. So we literally got there. We started construction, and we just went fast. 
Wow. Yeah. And you've been, your book's solid since then with the, uh, it was 85% return rate. I mean, that, that's amazing too, right? Yeah, they get, I mean, we, we really, I mean, look, I, again, I'm not one to just pay lip service, right? So when I got into this industry, again, never having been to a retreat, I was like, how the, how the hell am I going to do this? Like, I don't understand who, who my market even is. So what I did was I got myself an assistant in Costa Rica who spoke English, obviously. She reached out to close to 40,000 retreat hosts around the world, one-on-one -on -one emails, um, inviting them into conversation with me. And I had literally, Rich, I had 2,200 conversations in the first two years of Imaloa. Wednesday, uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I did 13 hours a day of discovery calls, same calls, back to back to back, talking to hosts. And what I did was I figured out what their pain points were. Like, what do they need in their business? And so Imaloa, the retreat center, is a solution to all the pain points of my target customers. And so that's a big reason why we weren't book solid right away. We had only gotten into the swing of things when COVID hit. And then we were, you know, we didn't shut down, actually. We were the only place in the region, the only hospitality business not to shut down and not fire anybody during COVID. Uh, so it was kind of weird because it was a ghost town in Costa Rica because the borders were shut for six months, right? right. Or seven months. And, um, but then after that, we really got clear that we wanted to be in it to win it. And so that's when we started booking back to back. And now we're booked pretty much back to back until 2024, mid 2024. And that's a good problem to have right there. So it's a good problem to have. We're looking for a second place to deal with all this spillover, uh, and all this interest and, um, I, you know, I'm just grateful. Honestly, I'm I'm a kid from the wrong side of the tracks in Lewiston, Maine, literally the wrong side of the tracks, as I'm sure many listening can identify with. So all of this, it's not dumb luck. It's hard work combined with luck, combined with like right timing and, you know, the experiences I've had. Like, I don't believe all in luck and I don't believe that I've worked for this the whole way through either. Like, I think it's a combination of things, but it still kind of blows me away, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I remember growing up, with my mom and dad, my mom was a substitute teacher. My dad was, um, a, a social worker. My aunt was in the military still is actually in, in the Navy 25 years in wow. or 24 years in 1991. So whatever that is 23 years in, um, you know, so I grew up very humble, very humbly. And now to have this kind of five star hospitality business, really, it's just what it is honestly, is it's a vehicle to do good in the world. Um, hopefully with those who are paying, but even with those who can't afford with the scholarshiping and inviting people in and doing good work with leadership in the community, it's a vehicle to be able to do good, not for people to get rich or whatever it is. And so that's how we, that's how we view it. I mean, that's, that's great view right there. Uh, I'm going to take a step back now. I, I read it in your bio in the intro about being yeah. the youngest uh, anchor on uh, ABC. Yeah. Uh, how did, was that what you really wanted to do when you first, uh, when you were growing up, I want to be in entertainment, I want to be in the, in the media world. And then you, you kind of started pivoting to things that you knew you wanted to do after. Yeah. Well, no, I actually, I, it became a function of like, shit, I have to dream a bigger dream because I had kind of achieved it in my early to mid twenties right. on the TV show. You know, I started working at a very early age. I started working, I was a magician <laughs> and I started working bars at 14. Oh, wow. If you can imagine. So I, the, the, the most difficult crowd to work, I think is especially magic 
when people are at a bar, like go try to do magic as a 14 year old at a bar and keep doing that for two years and tell me your skin doesn't grow thick real fast. Like it's, <laughs> I was like, and my parents were supportive of it. <laughs> One of them drank a little too much, so she probably enjoyed it. So that's, that's okay. But you know, um, oh shit, we got to bring Jake to work again. Great. You know, and I think she was a little too eager to do that. Um, but you know, it was, yeah, I did bars. I did restaurants, meaning literally, getting up on a, like before the band would come up in the bar. And these were not like classy bars. I was from Maine, but I worked my ass off and I got paid for these shows. And like, you know, doing something fundamentally that people don't want to see you do and insisting that you're going to do it being 14, it's just, you know, it just prepares you for life. So that's kind of what I did. And then when I didn't want to, you know, do bars anymore in restaurants, because it was a hustle. I mean, it was really, it's really difficult. Uh, I started this TV show on local TV in Maine. Again, it was like a, on a local access TV station. Remember, this is for YouTube. This is like 2001. And I started booking guests. Me and my friends produced this stupid show. <laughs> but then, you know, I got like NBC started looking at it and invited me out to have the cast of Will and Grace on the show. That was a show on NBC back in the day. And oh, so yeah. I interviewed them and I'm 17 and kind of running around and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then, yeah, at 21, after you know, hustling for three years in New York, I became the youngest host in late night TV on ABC after Kimmel. And so my show debuted in about 50 million homes and was watched by, I don't know, a couple of million people a week, a million people, a million five a week. Um, and it was my first foray into doing like a national television thing. So I think, you know, that was like, it was like, shit, I did it. You know, I did a few other shows after that. I did the show on Fox and I did a sitcom for ABC family, but and that was all before the hurricane washed shit away at 27. So I had this time period in my 20s uh, where I was just kind of living the life that I had dreamed of. I could travel anywhere. I was doing, you know, the show. I, I had access to things. I was, it just was the life I had dreamed of. And so when the hurricane washed shit away, it was really kind of a, a cleansing, to be honest with you, because it was like, I got to figure out what's next because this continuing to hustle to do entertainment, it just, it wasn't in me anymore. It's like, I had already kind of seen it, seen the good parts, seen the bad parts. And so again, just kind of listening to life, I started to think through a different way to live. And that's what led me ultimately to what I'm doing now. That's, I mean, it's awesome. You had to drive at 14 years old as a magician. Yeah. So like you said, in a bar. In a uh, bar. And you're not, you're not drunk. So you're dealing with people that, come home from work hammered probably bro and, you know listen to a 14 year old show them uh entertain them and then like you said you had to grow that that thick uh leather skin there yeah <laughs> yeah rejection night after night after night after night until i until i figured out how to do it like you just working bars or com comedians working comedy clubs like it's just a different language that you're learning to speak to yourself that you're speaking to people like uh, you know, and I would say even comedy clubs are, are better because they're there to see comedy. Right. Uh, people in bars are not there to see magic anyways. Yeah, it was good. It was good training ground. I mean, you got it at 14, 15, 16, 20, whatever, and crazy enough to do that because I cannot ever see myself doing that now. That would be nuts. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. The way uh, with the, the political correctness of the world that a 14 year old would not be allowed in a bar right now to do that. Isn't that strange? Unless it was on TV or something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, actually. <laughs> and and to think that we're now saying that about our age group, I'm assuming we're similar ages. We're saying that about our age group, looking back 
And like, that's what our parents used to say, like, oh, the political correctness back in the day. And it's like, no shit. Like in 2001, things were, things were obviously different. You can probably bring a 14 year old to a bar now, not in the States anyways. No way. Yeah. <laughs> You'd wind up walking out the back door in handcuffs. That's so. right. Yeah. 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 You'd be going to CPS or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 So your yeah. whole journey, all this, uh, your drive forwardness, your, you have this resilience that's built in you. Did you, do you think you got that from how you grew up on the other side of the tracks from your parents, uh, grandma, or was it just something that was innate inside you? I thought about this because none of my family, to be very honest with you, and I don't know if they'd love me saying this, they'd probably be okay with it because they're, they've come to terms with it. None of my family had a drive like this. Um, most of my family, most of them are still living in Maine or at least the Northeast. I think I have one family member that lives in California, right? So if you're from even small town, New Jersey, but if you're from these small towns in the Midwest and the South, people don't really leave and not come back. You know, if people leave, they leave, but then they come back. It's a very, it's just a different thing. It was very odd that I had this drive and I have honestly no clue where it came from. And to me, that's probably the most terrifying thing about being a parent. I'm not a parent, but when you have a kid, you can't control whether that kid is driven or not driven, successful, not success, or like right-sized up in the head or kind of off the, you know, I mean, in fairness, I did have to see a shrink from age five till 16. So I was, you know, my parents sent me to like a psychologist and nearly medicated me because I was out of my mind. But, you know, once I learned how to bottle up that energy and direct it towards something that was not kicking out the mufflers of my father's car at the age of eight or spending his coin collection at Burger King, oh, wow. which I did, which was an interesting thing to watch my inheritance be eaten on a number one. Um, you know, his whole coin collection wasn't happy about that one. You know, I was kind of an outrageous child. And so I think that that probably was part of it that I was able to with the help of a lot of people, I was able to start like directing all this energy, but where that energy came from, I don't know, bro. I wish I knew because then I could share with people how to like create it for themselves. I don't know where it came from. It's, it was definitely in you and uh, you harvested it definitely to, to make you what you are today. And I think people need to reach out and say, Hey, tell me some of your, your tricks, your tips. How did you make your successes thrive even in the in the light of the five failure the five failed businesses that sixth one was still there you you don't we don't get judged on how many times we fall down it's how many times we get back up all those times and created that sixth business which was the podcast and then you had the airbnb which helped you get the maui house and then that to this so yeah you you got it yeah and by the way in the podcast like everyone just thinks oh just start a podcast well With early day podcasting. Did I lose you? A little bit. I got you now. So people think, oh, you started a podcast. Yeah, I started a podcast in 2013, the early days of podcasting. I st- My grandmother did not have internet. So I had to record the show at a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot in her 2004 Jetta. I mean, I would, and I'd be uploading the show in the middle of the night sometimes, two or three in the morning, because I would get the edits back from my editor. And I always tried to get it live before 8 a.m. in in London, because I had a lot of listeners, I guess, in Europe, according to what the stats told me. And I would have cops show up, like in the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot at two in the morning, being like, what's this big fucking microphone in the front seat with your computer? Like, what are you doing? 
you know, small town, two in the morning. I said, well, I'm uploading my podcast. They're like, what the hell is a podcast? Like, dude, you got to go home. And I was like, officer, no, this is actually how I'm making money. I know it looks, because, you know, I had a big microphone in the middle of a, anyways, but it's that, you know, it's like when everyone else is blinking or when everyone else is zigging, I'm zagging. It's like, okay, grandma, you don't want to put internet in? Fine, I'll do, you know. Because I think she knew if I did the podcast and it became successful, that I'd be out of the house. And she really liked having me there. So she was like, I'm not getting internet. I was like, okay, lady, I'm going to go to Dunkin' Donuts. You know, it's like when everyone else zigs, I zag. And I, I think that that's important. And by the way, I, I ended up with a quarter of a million downloads after three months on that podcast. And it ended up earning me eight to 10 grand a month in ad sales after three months. That's like crazy to me to think about. But it's like right place, right time with just enough, you know, work and you know, it's luck. It's also work. Like I was also uploading shows, having to deal with cops at two in the morning too, you know? <laughs> so you made some weren't you, And they would say, weren't you the kid at the bar 10 years ago? Ah, you do no. magic for me, remember? Yeah, I think you did magic for me 10 years. What are you still, what are you doing now? You really like the 2 a.m. hour. <laughs> sure. uh, my, my early shows, I did a lot of them out of my Jeep in a casino parking lot. Did so, you? Yeah, I'd sit in the back of a casino parking lot and do it. So I was just sitting in my loud Jeep doing it right there so it had the same kind of thing with security driving by me rich i've never heard of someone else that had a similar experience and were you doing that because you didn't have internet at your house or they just had better internet at the casino it's because i couldn't do it at my job so i had to drive off base and do it out there and just sit right out there oh wow interesting yeah. got it i just adapted and i said i can adapt and get over here and do it too bro that's it, it, cool it worked out perfect yeah. that's great yeah that's really great so as we hit the 30 minute mark here, I want you to give three tips to those out there who want to be entrepreneurs or, or thinking about it, how to get out of their own way and just go forward. You know, I think back to those basement days, because honestly, I never thought I was going to be able to leave that basement. I mean, when I say that I had no money, I had no money, like not like, okay, Jake, you had like a little bit of cash. Like, no, like grandma had to give me her credit card to go buy food for myself. Like she put gas in the car. I was not earning money. And people were like, why don't you go get a job? I said, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't want to go get a job. Now, some people might disagree with that. If I had a kid, I probably would have been in a different situation um, or, or a partner, but I didn't. So I just, I stayed true. And I, you know, what really worked for me, what got me out of that basement, it's a tip I got um, from a friend of mine in a 12-step program. And basically, I started to get up every day and I would write 10 actions that I would take toward whatever goal I had. At that point, it was probably the podcast. 80, uh, eight of those 10 actions, so 8% of whatever I had written down, had to be revenue-generating activities. So it had to... It had to be reasonably connected to revenue-generating activity. So list of 10 things, 80% of them had to be revenue-generating activities in the business. And then I had an action group. So I had like three other guys that I had this action group with. And every morning, I'd have to send the list to them. And if I didn't send a list, they'd call me and they'd say, where the hell are you? So there was a level of accountability. And then in the evening, I had to respond again to that list and check how many things I'd done. Wow. And... The next day, I'd have to make a brand new list. And if I carried items over more than three days, they'd call me again and they'd be like, this either needs to get done or it needs to be put in the trash. Which one is it? 
I did that every day, seven days a week for a year, year and a half in the basement. And that's what got me. That's what got the podcast going and earning. That's what got me to Maui. That's what got me ultimately to Imaloa. I still use that 80% revenue generating thing today. The numbers are a little different in terms of dealing with the basement versus, you know, real estate and a retreat center and a 40 member team and all of that. But the principle remains the same. It's like, Get clear on the revenue generating activities and just do that every day. And only a list of 10, not 20, not five. 10 seems to be the sweet spot where the brain doesn't get totally overwhelmed, but it still feels like a stretch. I know that's not exactly three tips, but that's one thing that really transformed how I run businesses. I think that that's an awesome thing there. And that goes in line with what we do here. We talk about stacking victories every day and you having 10 things to do every day. If in our minds, it's, if you can do 10 things good today, that's a vic. That's your ten victories. Don't count on all your the things that didn't go well. Count the things that go well, and then tomorrow try to beat them. And that's how we stack our victories here. Brilliant, brilliantly done. When you say here, where is for you? I'm in uh, Tennessee, just outside Nashville. Ah, cool. Okay, and and you mean at the Misfit Nation, like in the in the business, or are you talking about yeah. in the yeah? The I Misfit Nation. Great, cool. Yeah, stack the victories. Yeah, nobody wants to hear about the losses. Right. I mean, only in relationship to how you've learned something from them. Right. You know, you'll never hear me talking about what I, what I failed on unless I'm talking about or trying to get to a lesson that I've learned in what I failed forward on. And, you know, and I encourage my team too, to always, I try to remove any resistance to them taking action and failing because I'd much rather fail forward three times than take no action and wonder if it's going to work. Right. Yeah, definitely. And how does someone get in contact with you, Jake, if they want to, either have you on their show or learn more about Imaloa. So I'm actually on a social media break. I'm trying this for a year um, where I've been off of social media for a year for my birthday, uh, November to November. So they can go to Imaloa Institute, I-M-I-L-O-A Institute.com or uh, on Instagram at Imaloa.Institute. And, you know, the team can obviously put us in touch if you direct message there. Uh, or if you want to come to Imaloa, um, you you know, you can look at a retreat. And if you use the code word Jake, by the way, your listeners, if they use the code word Jake, they'll get 400 off any retreat if they end up wanting to come to Costa Rica. So awesome. That's a, that's a great deal. Misfit Nation, uh, take them up on that. And the website is going across the bottom of the screen right now, and it will be in the show notes. So Jake, thanks again for taking some of your time and being patient with us to get this thing going. And that's uh, all good. And all the, all the great things you're doing down there in Costa Rica. Thank you so much. Thanks, bro. Good to be with you. Awesome. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 